the Princess Forest, Coil Nabana Frunser. How many ships sailed in the forest? What anchor struck in the deep of the wood? Where is the oak soaked and the ash awash? Where are the pine needles encrusted with salt? What's that sound? The shush of the wind in branches or ebb of a riddled tide? Where are there tillers where once there were antlers? Can you hear wolfhounds baying? How are there deer to be hunted in the sea? Whose is that turf-roofed house? How did the hearthstones get pockled with barnacles? What am I doing thinking to show you a forest here? On the western shore of a tidal island, attached by a causeway to the west coast of a larger island, looking out on the western ocean. Behind me, Uis stub moors are brocaded with sea lochs, some so intricate their coastlines exceed a hundred miles in length. The bog is a book filled with pressed pollen an archive recording the Hebridean outlier of a prehistoric savanna that we know as the Great Wood. Pine roots curry, tau mavrander, root tangle now. Their names recall a millennial pibroch, the lament of the urlar, the ground in Scots pine, the grace of birch, the base of juniper, and those habitual inventions of Shuel, birdsong. We own our forebears' destruction of the forest as a sin against nature, which science has translated into the measured guilt of biodiversity and species depredation. In expiation, we are committed to the regeneration of the native woodland. Why are there no trees? Because there are no wolves, nor lynx, nothing to deter the browsing deer. Deer and trees go together, the old foresters saw. But that togetherness can only occur after a cull. The wood will not be regrown by carbon offsets, native wildwood reserves, and the promissory notes of SSSI. The archaeologist map shows a surprisingly bulbous Western Isles basking alongside Britain. There will be centuries before the mainland is known as that. The Separatist Sea has recently released Kent from the continent. Peat ash and one charred hazelnut shell are the cosy data marking the arrival of a band of hunters this far north and west. We don't know the name of their clan, and if we could hear them speak, we wouldn't recognise the language. They followed elk and reindeer north, took to their coracles and crossed the minch. 
perhaps calling in at the bloodstone quarries of rum. As soon as they arrived, this wandering band of hunters began burning the woods as early as seven centuries BC, gaining heather moor and grass to encourage the deer they fed on and worshipped. Beyond the beach, the trees, there is, of course, a story that answers the riddle of the forest. Otherwise, why would I have dragged you here? There were once trees growing under these waves, forming a mythical wood said to extend all the way to St Kilda. It had a name, the Princess Forest, Coila Nabana Frunser. And some say that she, the princess, is the first named person in Scotland, far older than Calgacus, the swordsman. Take a walk across Uist, through the confusion of inlets, or make your way by canoe, as two friends did for a ploy. Dip your fingers in its waters. You can never be sure when the taste will be briny. For thousands of years, the sea has breached and reduced the Hebrides. In his study of North Uist, Erskine Beveridge reckoned the beach I have brought you to, Balasher, the East Township, must have had a partner West Village, now lost under the sea. This would help to explain why old field names have, perplexingly, become attached to skerries. Locals still tell how, at low tide, the stumps of ancient forests may be seen projecting above the sand. There are sunken peat mosses at Valley and Kilfidder, and a friend found roots on the beach at Stony Bridge. Just two centuries ago, a horse and cart could cross the five miles from the bright rock of Hishker at low tide. Fishermen tell of moss, trees and masonry bought up by their anchors from 20 fathoms deep. Geologists are willing to go some way with the folklore. A few millennia ago, the westward coastline was far out to sea. Some even refer to a lost continent stretching 40 or 50 miles joining together the jigsaw pieces of Balasher, Hishkar, Herta and Harris. As to the character of the Princess Forest, the climate was more genial, but with squalls and salt spray. Imagine nothing more substantial than scrub breaks, spinnies and thickets. A forest in the old sense of a tract of hunting ground. The myth survived because Martin Martin recorded it on his voyage to St Kilda in 1697. The islanders showed him a dry stained turf roof hut up on the Glenmore Shilling, Toy Nabana Gashkis, which he translated the Amazon's house, though female warrior or huntress may be more accurate. Martin said, this Amazon is famous in their traditions. Her house, or dairy of stone, is yet extant. 
Some of the inhabitants dwell in it all summer, though it be some hundred years old. The whole is built of stone, without any wood, lime, earth or mortar to cement it. The body of this house contains not above nine persons sitting. There are three beds or low vaults that go off the side of the wall, a pillar betwixt each bed which contains five men apiece. At the entry to one of these low vaults is a stone standing upon one end. Upon this, they say, she laid her helmet. There are two stones on the other side upon which she is reported to have laid her sword. She is said to have been much addicted to hunting and that, in her time, all the space betwixt this isle and that of Harris was one continued tract of dry land. Myth wears away. The most recent archaeological survey dates the hut as 17th century. But the islanders' practice was to add walls to existing buildings, so there may be an earlier dwelling or dwellings absorbed in these walls, whether Gallic, Pictish or pre-Pictish. Martin reports the discovery of deer antlers buried on the East Hill, Oshaville, with a wooden dish full of deer's grease, a reference to bog butter, the traditional interment of vessels of fat, sometimes accompanied by a deerskin bladder. Some archaeologists explain this as a way to preserve food, rancid at that, security against raiders. But as deer were not native to St Kilda, the antlers suggest a ritual aspect. Joseph Boyce certainly thought so when he embedded a lump of stork margarine in Rannoch Moor as an offering to one of Scotland's totemic lost forests. Everyone knows the Hebrides have been treeless for centuries. The islanders once explained that the woods were all burnt by a witch by the command of a Norse princess betrayed in love. Blame is a comfort, but it grows no woods. Did the myth of the princess forest arise out of the destruction of the woodland, a picture of better times, when an earlier people ran with the deer? Or was the myth a way to explain the mysterious hut and ritual burial, as some suppose fairy nows to be a memory of the pattern folk we call Picts and their barrows? Is the simpler explanation that the Princess Forest was woven together from the evidence of a real drowned wood that appeared at low tide? Does it matter if the existence of the dear mad huntress can't be proven? Her name leads between the known knowns of science and the unknown knowns of ancestral memory. Like those drowned churches 
of the Suffolk coast, whose bells are said to toll the tide's method. Here, on the beach at Balashir, the mind's ear listens for siskin and chiffchaff. The lattice of purposelessness of the wood hides in the humdrum pointlessness of the sea. The lost songs pipe from the bird's narrow throats and rise in bubbles to the surface. In time, it will turn out that myth is a trustworthy record. We may not know the origin of the tale, but we have only to wait a few years, a decade or two at most, to return to her forest. The world is drowning, just as the waves flooded over the Macher in the cataclysms of the Mesolithic, creating a spume of charcoal, ash and branches. <laughs>